chapter eleven of crusaders of new france by william bennett monroe this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eleven how the people lived in new france there were no privileged orders this indeed was the most marked difference between the social organization of the homeland and that of the colony there were social distinctions in canada to be sure but the boundaries between different elements of the population were not rigid there were no privileges based upon the laws of the land and no impenetrable barrier separated one class from another men could rise by their own efforts or come down through their own defaults their places in the community were not determined for them by the accident of birth as was the case in the older land some of the most successful figures in the public and business affairs of new france some of the social leaders some of those who attained the highest rank in the noblesse came of relatively humble parentage in france of the sixteenth and seventeenth centuries the chief officials of state the seigneurs the higher ecclesiastics even the officers of the army and the marine were always drawn from the nobility in the colony this was very far from being the case some colonial officials and a few of the seigneurs were among the numerous noblesse of france before they came and they of course retained their social rank in the new environment others were raised to this rank by the king usually for distinguished services in the colony and on the recommendation of the governor or the intendant but even if taken altogether these men constituted a very small proportion of the people in new france even among the seigneurs the great majority of these landed gentlemen came from the ranks of the people and not one in ten was a member of the noblesse there was therefore a social solidarity a spirit of fraternity and a feeling of universal comradeship among them which was altogether lacking at home the pivot of social life in new france was the settlement at quebec this was the colonial capital the seat of the governor and of the council the only town in the colony large enough to have all the trappings and tinsel of a well-rounded social set here too came some of the seigneurs to spend the winter months the royal officials the officers of the garrison the leading merchants the judges the notaries and a few other professional men these with their families made up an elite which managed to echo even if somewhat faintly the pomp and glamour of versailles quebec from all accounts was lively in the long winters its people who were shut off from all intercourse with europe for many months at a time soon learned the art of providing for their own recreation and amusement the knight-errant la hontan speaks enthusiastically of the events in the life of this miniature society of the dinners and dances the salon and receptions the intrigues rivalries and flirtations all of which were well suited to his bohemian tastes 
but the clergy frowned upon this levity of which they believed there was far too much on one or two occasions they even laid a rigorous and restraining hand upon activities of which they disapproved notably when the young officers of the quebec garrison undertook an amateur performance of moliere's tartuffe in sixteen ninety four at montreal and three rivers the two smaller towns of the colony the social circle was more contracted and correspondingly less brilliant the capital indeed had no rival only a small part of the population however lived in the towns at the beginning of the eighteenth century the census seventeen o six showed a total of sixteen thousand four hundred and seventeen of whom less than three thousand were in the three chief settlements the others were scattered along both banks of the st lawrence but chiefly on the northern shore with the houses grouped into cuts or little villages which almost touched elbows along the banks of the stream in each of these hamlets the manor-house or home of the seigneur although not a mansion by any means was the focus of social life sometimes built of timber but more often of stone with dimensions rarely exceeding twenty feet by forty it was not much more pretentious than the homes of the more prosperous and thrifty among the seigneur's dependents its three or four spacious rooms were however more comfortably equipped with furniture which in many cases had been brought from france socially the seigneur and his family did not stand apart from his neighbours all went to the same church took part in the same amusements upon days of festival and not infrequently worked together at the common task of clearing the lands sons and daughters of the seigneurs often intermarried with those of habitants in the seigneury or of traders in the towns there was no social impasse such as existed in france among the various elements in a community as for the habitants the people who cleared and cultivated the lands of the seigneuries they worked and lived and dressed as pioneers are wont to do their homes were commonly built of felled timber or of rough-hewn stone solid low stocky buildings usually about twenty by forty feet or thereabouts in size with a single doorway and very few windows the roofs were steep pitched with a dormer window or two thrust out on either side the eaves projecting well over the walls in such manner as to give the structures a half bungalow appearance with almost religious punctuality the habitants whitewashed the outside of their walls every spring so that from the river the country houses looked trim and neat at all seasons between the river and the uplands ran the roadway close to which the habitants set their conspicuous dwellings with only in rare cases a grass-plot or shade-tree at the door in winter they bore the full blast of the winds that drove across the expanse of frozen stream in front of them in summer the hot sun blazed relentlessly upon the low roofs as each house stood but a few rods from its neighbour on either side the colony thus took on the appearance of one long straggling village street 
the habitant liked to be near his fellows partly for his own safety against marauding redskins but chiefly because the colony was at best a lonely place in the long cold season when there was little for any one to do behind each house was a small addition used as a storeroom not far away were the barn and the stable built always of untrimmed logs the intervening chinks securely filled with clay or mortar there was also a root-house half sunk in the ground or burrowed into the slope of a hill where the habitant kept his potatoes and vegetables secure from the frost through the winter most of the habitants likewise had their own bake-ovens set a convenient distance behind the house and rising four or five feet from the ground these they built roughly of boulders and plastered with clay with an abundance of wood from the virgin forests they would build a roaring fire in these ovens and finish the whole week's baking at one time the habitant would often enclose a small plot of ground surrounding the house and outbuildings with a fence of piled stones or split rails and in one corner he would plant his kitchen garden within the dwelling-house there were usually two and never more than three rooms on the ground floor the doorway opened into the great room of the house parlor dining-room and kitchen combined a living-room it surely was in the better houses however this room was divided with the kitchen partitioned off from the rest most of the furnishings were the products of the colony and chiefly of the family's own workmanship the floor was of hewn timber rubbed and scrubbed to smoothness a woolen rug or several of them always of vivid hues covered the greater part of it there were the family dinner-table of hewn pine chairs made of pine saplings with seats of rushes or woven underbark and often in the corner a couch that would serve as an extra bed at night pictures of saints hung on the walls sharing the space with a crucifix but often having for ominous company the habitant's flintlock and his powder horn hanging from the beams at one end of the room was the fireplace and hearth the sole means of heating the place and usually the only means of cooking as well around it hung the array of pots and pans almost the only things in the house which the habitant and his family were not able to make for themselves the lack of colonial industries had the advantage of throwing each home upon its own resources and the people developed great versatility in the cruder arts of craftsmanship upstairs and reached by a ladder was a loft or attic running the full area of the house but so low that one could touch the rafters everywhere here the children often a dozen or more of them were stowed away at night on mattresses of straw or feathers laid along the floor as the windows were securely fastened even in the coldest weather this attic was warm if not altogether hygienic the love of fresh air in his dwelling was not among the habitants virtues every one went to bed shortly after darkness fell upon the land and all rose with the sun even visits and festivities were not at that time prolonged into the night as they are nowadays therein however new france did not differ from other lands in the seventeenth century most of the world went to bed at nightfall because there was nothing else to do and no easy or inexpensive artificial light 
candles were in use to be sure but a great many more of them were burned on the altars of the churches than in the homes of the people for his reading the habitant depended upon the priest and for his writing upon the notary clothing was almost wholly made at home it was warm and durable as well as somewhat distinctive and picturesque every parish had spinning wheels and hand looms in some of its homes on which the women turned out the heavy druggets or a tuff du paillis from which most of the men's clothing was made a great fabric it was this homespun with nothing but wool in it not attractive in pattern but able to stand no end of wear it was fashioned for the habitants use into roomy trousers and a long frock coat reaching to the knees which he tied around his waist with a belt of leather or of knitted yarn the women also used this a tiff for skirts but their waists and summer dresses were of calico homemade as well as for the children most of them ran about in the summer months wearing next to nothing at all a single garment without sleeves and reaching to the knees was all that covered their nakedness for all ages and for both sexes there were furs in plenty for winter use beaver skins were cheap in some years about as cheap as cloth when properly treated they were soft and pliable and easily made into clothes caps and mittens most of the footwear was made at home usually from deer hides in winter every one wore the butt sauvage or oiled moccasins laced up halfway or more to the knees they were proof against cold and were serviceable for use with snowshoes between them and his feet the habitant wore two or more pairs of heavy woollen socks made from coarse homespun yarn in summer the women and children of the rural communities usually went barefoot so that the soles of their feet grew as tough as pigskin the men sometimes did likewise but more frequently they wore in the fields or in the forest clogs made of cowhide on the weekdays of summer every one wore a straw hat which the women of the household spent part of each winter in plaiting in cold weather the knitted toque made in vivid colours was the great favourite it was warm and picturesque each section of the colony had its own colour the habitants in the vicinity of quebec wore blue toques while those around montreal preferred red the apparel of the people was thus in general adapted to the country and it had a distinctiveness that has not yet altogether passed away on sundays and on the numerous days of festival however the habitant and his family brought out their best to mass the men wore clothes of better texture and high beaver hats the women appeared in their brighter plumage of dresses with ribbons and laces imported from france such finery was brought over in so large a quantity that more than one memoir to the home government censured the spirit of extravagance of which this was one outward manifestation in the towns the officials and the well-to-do merchants dressed elaborately on all occasions of ceremony with scarlet cloaks and perukes buckled slippers and silk stockings in early canada there was no austerity of garb such as we find in puritan new england new france on a jour de fete was a blaze of colour as for his daily fare the habitant was never badly off even in the years when harvests were poor he had food that was more nourishing and more abundant than the french peasant had at home 
bread was made from both wheat and rye flour the product of the seigneurial mills corn cakes were baked in indian fashion from ground maize fat salted pork was a staple during the winter and nearly every habitant laid away each autumn a smoked supply of eels from the river game of all sorts he could get with little trouble at any time wild ducks and geese partridges for there were in those days no game laws to protect them in the early winter likewise it was indeed a luckless habitant who could not also get a caribou or two for his larder following the indian custom the venison was smoked and hung on the kitchen beams where it kept for months until needed salted or smoked fish had also to be provided for family use since the usages of the church required that meat should not be used upon numerous fast days vegetables of many varieties were grown in new france where the warm sandy virgin soil of the st lawrence region was splendidly suited for this branch of husbandry peas were the great standby and in the old days whole families were reared upon soup au pois which was and may even still be said to be the national dish of the french canadians beans cucumbers melons and a dozen other products were also grown in the family gardens there were potatoes which the habitant called patatas and not pommes de terre but they were almost a rarity until the closing days of the old regime wild fruits chiefly raspberries blueberries and wild grapes grew in abundance among the foothills and were gathered in great quantities every summer there was not much orchard fruit although some seedling trees were brought from france and had managed to become acclimated on the whole even in the humbler homes there was no need for any one to go hungry the daily fare of the people was not of great variety but it was nourishing and there was plenty of it save in rare instances more than one visitor to the colony was impressed by the rude comfort in which the people lived even though they made no pretence of being well-to-do in new france wrote charlevoix poverty is hidden behind an air of comfort while the gossipy la hontan was of the opinion that the boors of these seigneuries live with greater comfort than an infinity of the gentlemen in france occasionally when the men were taken from the fields to serve in the defence of the colony against the english attacks the harvests were small and the people had to spend the ensuing winter on short rations yet as the authorities assured the king they were robust vigorous and able in time of need to live on little as for beverages the habitant was inordinately fond of sour milk tea was scarce and costly brandy was imported in huge quantities and not all this eau de vie as some writers imagine went into the indian trade the people themselves consumed most of it every parish in the colony had its grog shop in seventeen twenty five the king ordered that no parish should have more than two quebec had a dozen or more and complaint was made that the people flocked to these resorts early in the morning thus rendering themselves unfit for work during most of the day and soon ruining their health into the bargain there is no doubt that the people of new france were fond of the flagon for not only the priests but the civil authorities complained of this failing idleness due to the numerous holidays and to the long winters combined with the tradition of hospitality to encourage this taste the habitants were fond of visiting one another and hospitality demanded on every such occasion the proffer of something to drink 
on the other hand the scenes of debauchery which a few chroniclers have described were not typical of the colony the year round when the ships came in with their cargoes there was a great indulgence in feasting and drink and the excesses at this time were sure to impress the casual visitor but when the fleet had weighed anchor and departed for france there was a quick return to the former quietness and to a reasonable measure of sobriety tobacco was used freely every farmer rocom plants a quantity of tobacco near his house because it is universally smoked boys of twelve years of age often run about with the pipe in their mouths the women were smokers too but more commonly they used tobacco in the form of snuff in those days as in our own this french canadian tobacco was strong stuff cured in the sun till the leaves were black and when smoked emitting an odour that scented the whole parish the art of smoking a pipe was one of several profitless habits which the frenchman lost little time in acquiring from his indian friends this convivial temperament of the inhabitants of new france has been noted by more than one contemporary the people did not spend all their energies and time at hard labour from october when the crops were in until may when the season of seed-time came again there was indeed little hard work for them to do aside from the cutting of firewood and the few household chores the day was free and the habitants therefore spent it in driving about and visiting neighbours drinking and smoking dancing and playing cards winter accordingly was the great social season in the country as well as in the town the chief festivities occurred at michaelmas christmas easter and may-day of these the first and the last were closely connected with the seigneurial system on michaelmas the habitant came to pay the annual rental for his lands on may-day he rendered the maypole homage which has been already described christmas and easter were the great festivals of the church and as such were celebrated with religious fervour and solemnity in addition minor festivals chiefly religious in character were numerous so much so that their frequency even in the months of cultivation was the subject of complaint by the civil authorities who felt that these holidays took altogether too much time from labour sunday was a day not only of worship but of recreation clad in his best raiment every one went to mass whatever the distance or the weather the parish church indeed was the emblem of village solidarity for it gathered within its walls each sunday morning all sexes and ages and ranks the habitant did not separate his religion from his work or his amusements the outward manifestations of his faith were not to his mind things of another world the church and its priests were the centre and soul of his little community the whole countryside gathered about the church doors after the service while the capitaine de la cote the local representative of the intendant read the decrees that had been sent to him from the seats of the mighty at the chateau de st louis that duty over there was a garrulous interchange of local gossip of such news as had dribbled through from france the crowd then melted away in groups to spend the rest of the day in games or dancing or in friendly visits of one family with another especially popular among the young people of each parish were the corvee recreative or bees as we call them nowadays in our rural communities there were the epouchelette or corn husking the brayage or flax beating and others of the same sort the harvest home or gros gerbe celebrated when the last load had been brought in from the fields 
and the ignole or welcoming of the new year were all occasions of goodwill noise and revelry dancing was by all odds the most popular pastime and every parish had its fiddler who was quite as indispensable a factor in the life of the village as either the smith or the notary every wedding was the occasion for terpsichorean festivities which lasted all day long the habitant liked to sing especially when working with others in the woods or when on the march the voyageurs relieved the tedium of their long journeys by breaking into song at intervals but the popular repertoire was limited to a few folk-songs most of them songs of old france they were easy to learn simple to sing but sprightly and melodious some of them have remained on the lips and in the hearts of the french canadian race for over two hundred years those who do not know that claire fontaine and ma boule roland have never known french canada the forêtier of to-day still goes to the woods chanting the malbrouc sans va ton guerre which his ancestors carolled in the days of blenheim and malplaquet when the habitants sang moreover it was in no pianissimo tones he was lusty and cheerful about giving vent to his buoyant spirits and his descendant of to-day has not lost that propensity the folklore of the old dominion unlike the folk music was extensive some of it came with the colonists from their norman firesides but more perhaps was the outcome of a superstitious popular imagination working in the new and strange environment of the wilderness the habitant had a profound belief in the supernatural and was prone to associate miraculous handiwork with every unusual event he peopled the earth and the air the woods and the rivulets with spirits of diverse forms and varied motives the red man's abounding superstition likewise had some influence upon the habitant's high-strung temperament at any rate new france was full of legends and weird tales every island every cove in the river had one or more associated with it most of these legends had some moral lessons attached to them they were tales of disaster which came from disobeying the teachings of the church or of miraculous escape from death or perdition due to the supernatural rewarding of righteousness taken together they make up a wholesome and vigorous body of folklore reflecting both the mystic temper of the colony and the religious fervour of its common life a distinguished son of french canada has with great industry gathered these legends together a service for which posterity will be grateful various chroniclers have left as pen portraitures of the habitant as they saw him in the olden days charlevoix la Hontan, Hocar, and peter calm men of widely different tastes and aptitudes all bear testimony to his vigour stamina and native-born vivacity he was courteous and polite always yet there was no flavour of servility in this most benign trait of character it was bred in his bone and was fostered by the teachings of his church along with this went a bonhomie and a light-heartedness a touch of personal vanity with a liking for display and ostentation which unhappily did not make for thrift the habitant enjoys what he has got writes charlesbois and often makes a display of what he has not got he was also fond of honours even minor ones and plumed himself on the slightest recognition from official circles 
habitants who by years of hard labor had saved enough to buy some uncleared seigneury strutted about with the airs of genuine aristocrats while their wives in the words of governor de nonville essayed to play the fine lady more than one intendant was amused by this broad streak of vanity in the colonial character every one here wrote murrell begins by calling himself an esquire and ends by thinking himself a nobleman yet despite this attempt to keep up appearances the people were poor clearing the land was a slow process and the cultivable area available for the support of each household was small early marriages were the rule and families of a dozen or more children had to be supported from the produce of a few arpents to maintain such a family as this every one had to work hard in the growing season and even the women went to the fields in the harvest time one serious shortcoming of the habitant was his lack of steadfastness in labor there was a roving strain in his norman blood he could not stay long at any one job there was a restlessness in his temperament which would not down he would leave his fields unploughed in order to go hunting or to turn a few sous in some small trading adventure unstable as water he did not excel in tasks that required patience but he could do a great many things after a fashion and some that could be done quickly he did surprisingly well one racial characteristic which drew comment from observers of the day was the litigious disposition of the people the habitant would have made lawsuits his chief diversion had he been permitted to do so if this propensity be not curbed wrote the intendant rodeau there will soon be more lawsuits in this country than there are persons the people were not quarrelsome in the ordinary sense but they were very jealous each one of his private rights and the opportunities for litigation over such matters seemed to provide themselves without end lands were given to settlers without accurate description of their boundaries farms were unfenced and cattle wandered into neighboring fields the notaries themselves were almost illiterate and as a result scarcely a legal document in the colony was properly drawn nobody lacked pretext for controversy idleness during the winter was also a contributing factor but the church and the civil authorities frowned upon this habit of rushing to court with every trivial complaint cure and seigneur did what they could to have such difficulties settled amicably at home and in a considerable measure they succeeded new france was born and nurtured in an atmosphere of religious devotion to the habitant the church was everything his school his counsellor his almsgiver his newspaper his philosopher of things present and of things to come to him it was the source of all knowledge experience and inspiration and to it he never faltered in ungrudging loyalty the church made the colony a spiritual unit and kept it so undefiled by any taint of heresy it furnished the one strong well-disciplined organization that new france possessed and its missionaries blazed the way for both yeomen and trader wherever they went many traits of the race have been carried on to the present day without substantial change the habitant of the old dominion was a voluble talker a teller of great stories about his own feats of skill and endurance his hair-raising escapes or his astounding prowess with musket and fishing-line stories grew in terms of prodigious achievement as they passed from tongue to tongue and the scant regard for anything approaching the truth in these matters became a national eccentricity 
the habitant was boastful in all that concerned himself or his race never did a people feel more firmly assured that it was the salt of the earth he was proud of his ancestry and proud of his allegiance and so are his descendants of to-day even though their allegiance has changed to speak of the habitants of new france as downtrodden or oppressed dispirited or despairing like the peasantry of the old land in the days before the great revolution as some historians have done is to speak untruthfully these people were neither serfs nor peons the habitant as charlevoix puts it breathed from his birth the air of liberty he had his rights and he maintained them shut off from the rest of the world knowing only what the church and civil government allowed him to know he became provincial in his horizon and conservative in his habits of mind the paternal policy of the authorities sapped his initiative and left him little scope for personal enterprise so that he passed for being a dull fellow yet the annals of forest trade and indian diplomacy prove that the new world possessed no sharper wits than his beneath a somewhat ungainly exterior the yeoman and the trader of new france conceal qualities of cunning tact and quick judgment to a surprising degree these various types in the population of new france officials missionaries seigneurs voyageurs habitants were all the scions of a proud race admirably fitted to form the rank and file in a great crusade it was not their fault that france failed to dominate the western hemisphere end of chapter eleven end of crusaders of new france by william bennett munroe